APU. American Public University is proud to present Intellectable. Welcome, everyone. I am Linda Asher, host for this podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Ann Hardy from Creighton University. Dr. Hardy is deeply involved in community service, and it is that expertise that she brings to us in our discussion today. A little background about Anne. She earned a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and a Master of Science in Nursing and a Doctor of Education in Interdisciplinary Leadership from Creighton University. Anne had strong faculty mentors at Creighton that taught her the importance of advocating for the protection, promotion, and optimization of health and abilities of individuals, families, communities, and populations. And you will understand the importance of what I just said as you listen to our podcast today. Throughout her 20 plus year nursing career, Anne worked with and advocated for families living with hereditary cancer, people living with kidney disease, and preschool through 12th grade students. Early in her career, she served with the American Nephrology Nurses Association as the Nebraska State Chapter President and Midwest Legislative Advisor. She was awarded the Nurse in Washington Internship in 2003, and since that time, she has worked to advocate for and pass legislation addressing chronic kidney disease and food allergies at the federal and state levels. She has spoken at national nursing conferences on how nurses can be involved in the legislative process. Her doctoral dissertation on academic pressure and stress for students in high-performing Catholic high schools was based on servant leadership. During the summer of 2020, Anne started a wonderful Facebook group called Nurse Hardy's Neighborhood as a place where people could learn about the many issues regarding racial injustices caused by centuries of systemic racism against Black Americans. It was Anne's research interests and love for her alma mater and love for working with students that brought her to her current job as Associate Director of Undergraduate Admissions four years ago at Creighton. She continues to advocate for the health of her community and is here to share the story about a wonderful project that she and some dedicated volunteers have organized in Sacramento County in California. And she hopes that sharing her story of advocacy will inspire others to get involved in similar projects. So let me turn to what brings us to today's discussion. When the COVID-19 vaccine was launched, Anne realized early on that there would be a need of organizing the distribution of the vaccine to economically depressed areas and the homeless. Anne and a few dedicated and resourceful volunteers spearheaded an exciting project in the Sacramento area to deliver the COVID-19 vaccine to underserved neighborhoods in collaboration with Sacramento County and community-based organizations. It seemed like a really daunting effort when I first heard about it, and I am amazed at what they have accomplished in just a short time. Within a matter of days of creating this idea, Equivax organization was born and launched. Now, what is notable about this effort is not just the creation of a structure for delivery of the vaccine to so many people in a short time, 
but the design of a clinical model that is a template for continuing efforts like this nationwide, not only for COVID-19, which is the current focus, but for a delivery of other urgent care needs to underserved communities, whatever those might need to be. For these efforts, Equivax provides technology and volunteer support along with the clinical model they've devised. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is a great opportunity. So thank you for allowing me to share the story. It is such a pleasure. I, I couldn't wait to get you here, really. Having heard of my introduction and all the things I've said and about your brilliant creation of Equivax, I'd like us to now start at the beginning. Tell us some background and how this venture got started. Yes. Um, well, I was invited to participate in a vaccine clinic out here at a Jesuit high school. A friend of mine from the doctoral program at Creighton is the principal of their school. So he invited me to come shadow him and also to be a vaccinator as well during the clinic. So on my first day, I was walking around. His name is Mike. And I was walking around with Mike and he and Dr. Rusty Oshida, who was the physician who had a partnership with Jesuit, they were the ones running the clinic there. And I, I remember standing next to Mike saying, this is amazing what you're doing. You're able to vaccinate up to 2,200 people on a Sunday, on a Sunday. And I thought, how can we take, I asked Mike, how can we take this model into neighborhoods that need it? Uh, that are hardest hit right now by COVID, that are underserved and really need the vaccine. So Mike agreed with me, yes, Ann, this is a great model. It can definitely be taken to other areas. It should go to other areas. We just are here as kind of the tip of the spear at Jesuit, and absolutely it should go to other areas as well. And at the same time I was working that clinic, a friend of mine who I've known for, I don't know, over 10 years or so, Matt Clemens, was there as well. And Mac had the same goal of taking this vaccine and this clinic into areas that are hardest hit. And we uh, kind of came together. Mac and I remember standing there in the parking lot of Jesuit High School and having a conversation with him of, you know, how we need to go into communities that need it. And so Mac and I were excited and we kind of came together going, okay, we don't really know exactly what we're doing yet or how we're going to do this, but we know that we're going to get this done. And also, I want to say that there were other folks there as well. I mean, we certainly weren't the only people that were having these same thoughts. There are other people that had the same thoughts that wanted to go into underserved communities using a culturally sensitive approach. When are we talking about? When was that day that you had this insight? That would have been probably the end of Feb mid to end of February. So that was when the vaccine was first coming out. Yeah, the Jesuit clinic had already been going for a couple of weeks at that point. And I had gone there probably the mid to end of February. I can't remember exactly the date. But so Mac and I had this conversation and we talked to Dr. Wood and said, hey, do you think that Dr. Oshida would have the capacity to come to Oak Park? We were looking at setting up a clinic in, in the Oak Park neighborhood of Sacramento. And Mike said, sure, I'll talk to Dr. Oshida. And he did that. And Dr. Oshida, of course, was on board. 
And I want to give you some insight into Dr. Oshida as well. So he was one of the very first, if not the first, physician, private physician in Sacramento County to register for this vaccine provider number. So when the vaccine rolled out, the county went to him and he already had a COVID testing site set up at Jesuit High School. So he already had a relationship with them. So he went there and said, hey, let's set up a vaccine clinic and we'll use this model and we can take it other places from there. So Dr. Oshida already had a great relationship with the county, and uh, they really trusted him. He was very efficient in this model. So Mac and I would hitch our wagon to Dr. Oshida and his efforts because he had the vaccine, and he just wants to get vaccine in as many people as possible in uh, Sacramento County. So it made the most sense to go to him. So the three of us all kind of came together at the same time with this same idea, And we all bring a different perspective, which I think is important to share because, you know, I can't do this on my own. Matt can't do it on his own. Dr. Ashita can't do it on his own. And we all bring our own gifts and talents to this. So Mac really, his perspective really is the technology piece, the registration, reporting to the California Immunization Registry. That's really important to get that done in in an efficient and timely manner. And Mac is so gifted and talented and all of that. I brought kind of this volunteer support model and, well, along taking that idea, you know, kind of taking what Jesuit had and developing even further the volunteer support model, a clinic and vaccine procedures. So making sure that everyone is licensed and we have clinic practice standards. Of course, Dr. Oshida brought the vaccine and he's the medical provider and the oversight. He's the one that is keeping his eye on people when they get the vaccine. He's kind of running the show there. So he owns a couple urgent cares and he's an emergency department physician. So this is right up his alley. (laughs) So from there, Mac and I met our first official meeting was March 1st, where we met over Zoom and we developed what we were calling at that time the Oak Park Community Vaccine Clinic. And we had a list. I was reviewing the notes this morning from our initial meeting. On that list, we had about 25 community-based organizations on our list. We knew that we wanted to reach out to prominent leaders in the area to make sure this was a good idea, to make sure that folks would want to come to our clinic in Oak Park, to make sure that it was something that people would be receptive to. Well, one of the leaders that we reached out to is Chet Hewitt and his wife, Laura. And I've known Chet and Laura for a long time. I was their kid's school nurse, and their kids go to the the high school where we wanted to set up the clinic in Oak Park. And my daughters attend that school as well, Christian Brothers High School. Chet is the CEO of Sierra Health Foundation. He and Laura both are very well-connected and excellent leaders in our community. And right away, Chet said, yes, this is a great idea. And he also said, which was kind of a a very pivotal moment, he said, why only offer this clinic in Oak Park? Why not take it to all communities that are hardest hit? Why just limit it to one location? And that was a really big aha moment for Mac and myself. Now, you mentioned earlier, I have a full-time job and I'm a mom. And, And with that idea came this a little level of anxiety of, oh my gosh, I can't be it in every community, in every clinic. But I can sure help design a model and consult with all the players involved on what needs to be done and how we should be doing things. So after that meeting with Chet, 
we really, you know, kind of put our heads together and started thinking about, okay, how can, this is a model that we were designing that was meant to be scalable. Our intent was, okay, we'll start really small at Christian Brothers High School, and then we'll, you know, maybe go from there. So we had set up a site visit at Christian Brothers on March 9th with the leaders of the school and Dr. Ashida and a couple of people from his staff and then myself and Mac. And we were going to walk the site and see how we were going to set up, if it was going to be a drive through clinic like it was at Jesuit High School or if it was going to be a walk-in clinic. Sometime between Mac and I's official meeting on March 1st and then our meeting at Christian Brothers on March 9th, Sacramento County developed a vaccine equity committee. So they wanted to make sure that the vaccine was going to be delivered to the area's hardest hit, so the kind of the unhealthiest zip codes, if you will. And uh, certainly the Oak Park zip code falls in an unhealthy zip code. And so a representative from that committee came to our meeting at Christian Brothers, and he said, we love this idea. We uh, want to vaccinate people in Oak Park. Right now, the county has an idea. They had already kind of put some plans into place to serve South Sacramento, which is just south of Oak Park, not too far away, but not in the immediate Oak Park community. Mac had visited with this gentleman from the county during our meeting there at Christian Brothers High School. And this gentleman really loved the model so much that he said, how can we take this with us to South Sacramento. So can you bring the technology and the volunteer support to our clinic that we're already going to set up in South Sacramento? So right away it was, well, yes, of course. I mean, our goal is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. We will go basically wherever you tell us to go. So the county worked with very closely with Mac. That was a clinic, the first clinic I wasn't able to attend because I was at work. So I wasn't able to attend that one. So this was our meeting on March 9th at Christian Brothers High School. The first clinic was actually March 12th. So the turnaround time was very, very quick. They said, "Um, we're not quite sure when it's going to be or where it's going to be yet. And then it turned out to be, oh, it's going to be Friday. And I think that was maybe Wednesday that they told us it was going to be on Friday. (laughs) So the county and uh, council member Mai Vang from South Sacramento, she really had the idea of working with community-based organizations and having folks register for the vaccine through these community-based organizations rather than signing up on a general sign-up link that would be open to the public because we really wanted to make sure that we were serving the zip code's hardest hit and most under-resourced, that people from a different county weren't signing up or we really wanted to make sure that that we were serving those communities that were hardest hit. By hardest hit zip codes, this is a tracking of numbers that the local government facilities keep track of. Yes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a nationwide system or something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. So this Sacramento County looks very, they're the ones that determine it. Mm-hmm. And then that's how they determine where we go, basically, kind of where we set up shop. Partnering with the community-based organizations and having them register people also helped reach those who maybe didn't have access to the Internet or couldn't go online to register themselves. That was one thing that Mac and I had had early conversations about was making sure that folks could 
still register even if they didn't have access to the internet. So by going through their community-based organizations, somebody could help them register. They'd have folks right there that they know and that they trust that could help them register for the clinics. What happened right after kind of getting everything set up for the first South Sacramento Clinic was Mac changed the name. So it was the Oak Park Community Vaccine Clinic, and we thought, well, now I guess since we're outside of Oak Park and we're making this more general, we need a new name. So Mac thought of the name Equivax, which was great. And Mac, like I said, he's a technology wizard, and he has been doing website design and building websites since high school. He built our website and... We launched the website on March 11th, so the Equivax.org website went up on March 11th. The very first clinic was March 12th, and around 90% of the folks that we served there were BIPOC population, so Black, Indigenous, or people of color. 40% did not speak English. We had 12 different languages spoken at that clinic. And then by March 15th, so that Monday, We had over 19,800 unique hits to our website with already 530 volunteers in our volunteer pool, ready, just ready to go, waiting for like the next clinic and when it was going to come. Hey, everyone, it's time for a quick break. Don't go away. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why, as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. And we're back. We're speaking today with Dr. Ann Hardy about Equivax a community-based program for delivering the COVID-19 vaccine. So this is 100% volunteer manned. Absolutely, yeah. And the volunteers are so ready and willing to come and help. Uh, We have some dear friends of mine who are, um, I call them my bonus sisters. My sister and I both are nurses, and then we are friends with these Two other nurses are bonus sisters, Anna and Selena, and Selena works as an ICU nurse at UC, so University of California, San Francisco, and her sister Anna is an emergency department nurse here in Sacramento, and they have been caring for COVID patients since the beginning. And Selena had said, I am so happy to come and volunteer my time to vaccinate people And I will do this so I do not have to hold the hand of one more person that is dying of COVID. I think she speaks for all the nurses, all the medical professionals, every every person that comes to serve in our clinics. People are willing to come and volunteer their time so that not one more person has to die of this disease. That's a very powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I was talking to her last night and she said, She came to a clinic this week. She works three days in San Francisco and lives here in Sacramento. And she said, I'm just addicted to your clinics, Anne. I'm addicted to coming and giving the vaccine to as many people as possible. And I know my sister has been there and Anna has been there. Many, many nurses. We have a long list of very dedicated people that are helping us. 
And I will say, the county loves our the efficiency of the Equivax technology, the volunteer support, the reporting, because they require that everything is reported within 24 hours to the um, California Immunization Registry. It's called CARE. And the way that Mac has designed the technology, it's no problem getting that done. If we do 800 in a day, if we did 4,000 in a day, there's no problem getting it all reported because he has streamlined that and made it so efficient that there's no hiccups. And he, oh, and, and another favorite thing that people love about our clinics that Mac designed is um, the real-time reporting. So we had on a clinic we did this past week, we have it projected up on a big screen. So when people are sitting there waiting after they've had their immunization and they sit there in the observation, 15-minute observation period, they can see on the big screen exactly how many people have been vaccinated that, that minute, up to that minute. You know, it's it's refreshed constantly. And, you know, how the, the demographics of the people that have been vaccinated. And it's just really super cool to see that in real time when you're sitting there. And I think everybody, I know every all the volunteers love seeing that. It's you're watching real life statistics of how we are, you know, changing, making people healthier and communities healthier. Is that information also on the website? Yeah, there's inform we have a lot of information on the website about what we've done. Everything on our website is free for anybody to use. So we're happy to share the technology, how we've set up the volunteer registration as well. One thing that we really needed were consent forms that were translated into many different languages. So we have all of those that are on our website as well for people to use. And since we started our first clinic on March 12th, we have done 12 clinics at five different sites, and we've delivered about 16,000 doses of the vaccine. Right now, we have about 900 volunteers in our database 72% of the people we have vaccinated are of BIPOC population, 40% are uninsured, and at one clinic we had up to 12 different languages. So it's been an amazing adventure. I think it's absolutely marvelous. How long do you think as to COVID vaccinations, do you see this continuing? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that because... We're doing a great job in California vaccinating people. We used to have a very big need for walk-in clinics, and people aren't coming as quickly as they were before, I guess, or lining up as early as they were before. And I, I think that's because people are getting vaccinated, and there's probably other factors as well. But I, I don't know how long this will go. If this was just something that served an immediate need, then that's okay, too. But we do have in California, I can't speak to all the nuances of this, but I do know very soon that Blue Shield is going to come in and they will be coordinating vaccine efforts here. So I'm not sure what everything will look like when they come in and do their work. So, I mean, ideally, at some point, most people that are willing to be vaccinated will be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that there are people that will not get the vaccine for whatever their reasons are. And there are a variety of reasons why that could be. That being said, there still could be, as we have with other vaccines, an ongoing need for vaccines. So there might not need to be mass clinics, but there still 
will be in need for ongoing vaccinations along with other vaccinations. And my thoughts are this clinical model for delivery of preventive care, which is certainly vaccine uh, is a big part of that, whether we're talking COVID or flu or shingles or measles. There is a, a wonderfully long list now we have of being able to eradicate disease. Would this model that you've developed be something worthwhile to utilize on an ongoing basis, particularly for underserved communities that are not readily accessible to healthcare? Absolutely. Yes. And we're happy to share and we're happy to work with the county as needed. Absolutely. Yes. Seems to me that there would be a particular needed. It's a a spotlighted need that could be done, it would be a way of of kind of quietly screening people as they come in for that service that they could be directed then to other free health care that would be available that they might not know about or 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 affordable health care if not free. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, I believe you said forty was it forty percent that was not insured? Yes, mm-hmm. that's a high number in one finite location within a county. So that's between all of the 12, well, five sites. The 40% is between five sites. And it is a high number. We've made it very clear that we are open to serving anyone, regardless of their insurance status, whether or not they're a citizen. So we have quite a few, I, I don't know the number of undocumented, but we definitely welcome and we make it very clear that we are open to everyone. We, People do not have to have an ID or an insurance card in order to be vaccinated. So that's the point of Equivax, is to make vaccines more equitable and available to to everybody. That is part of the beauty of it. The other beauty of this is that it's 100% volunteer-based. That being said, since Equivax does not finance anything, it provides the labor and the expertise, which are two big components of this kind of venture. How is the infrastructure on a given clinic provided then? Who, for want of a better word, funds that? How is that done? That's a great question. So typically what happens is the county basically tells us where to go. (laughs) And they will say, okay, you're going to go into South Sacramento at this site, this community center, and here are your site coordinators. So then we work with the site coordinators. Usually Mac goes over, meets with them, walks through their site, plans where everything is going to be set, how it's going to be set up, walks through with them through the registration. First of all, starting with where we're going to queue the line outside or how that's going to work and how to manage the traffic and everything. And then the, the registration, where patients register and then the actual clinic where we're going to set up the clinic, where we set up the observation area, the extended observation area for folks that need to be observed for 30 minutes instead of the typical 15. So he walks through and with the the site coordinators, and then they talk about, okay, we're going to need chairs, we're going to need tables, if we need easy up tents, and, you know, for shade in the line. Most of the community partners have those things. And the Office of Emergency Management, I can't remember their official name, shoot, um, but they 
We'll provide the ambulance if we need cones outside to cue the line or traffic. They provide like the vests and and just kind of those types of things. Sometimes the organization will provide gloves, band-aids, PPE, the personal protective equipment, gauze pads and wipes and hand sanitizer and everything we need to actually set up the clinic. Sometimes Dr. Oshida will bring that from his urgent care as well. So it just kind of depends on the clinic site. What she donates, I presume. I believe there's a small reimbursement for the vaccine, but I can't imagine the amount of the reimbursement covers all of <laughs> Well, probably not. Right. But to the extent there is something like that, that is a direct, would mm-hmm. be a direct reimbursement yes. from the county. Yeah. It's not coming right. to Equivax. No, no, no. Nothing. There's no money that's coming through to Equivax. Yeah. All right. And that raises my next question. Who is supplying the vaccine? That comes down through the federal government, basically. It flows down through them to the county level, and then the county decides where it goes from there. So Equivax doesn't have any control over that, do you? No, 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 no. We have no... We provide, like I said, the technology and volunteer support. So we basically show up and pop up a clinic wherever the county tells us to go. They will know, okay, we have... 3,000 or 2,000 doses of Moderna. Here you go, Dr. Ashita. We want you to pop up a clinic in North Sacramento or South Sacramento or wherever. Well, I wanted it to be very clear that people don't come away from this discussion thinking Equivax stores doses of vaccine because that could be an easy misunderstanding that someone might get from this. And I don't, I just wanted to make it very clear that what you do is a very vital delivery system so the vaccine can get off the shelf and to people who need it through a or a well-organized, quick, safe, hygienic system. Is that a correct statement? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we go where they tell us. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, I had another question. Well, what else can you add to th- how you created this? Because just listening to this, it's clear this is no small effort. I have visions in my mind of a, a room. I mean, I have received a vaccine here in Ohio, and I can, having been through that system at a hospital I can that was very well run, I can see what it takes to organize that just from looking at it at the surface. That's a lot of planning, a lot of effort. That doesn't just happen with the snap of the fingers. And yet you put all this together very well in a short period of time. Do you have a magic wand stored in your desk drawer? (laughs) I do. I do. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I wish. I think what the Jesuit model showed us is that people are willing to volunteer because obviously this can't happen without volunteers. If people don't show up, this none of this can happen. And what Dr. Wood at Jesuit really showed us and orchestrated that people are more than willing to come and show up and volunteer and help. And the first clinic, I, because again, I couldn't be there. I was talking to Mac last night. I said, okay, again, run me through the first clinic and how it went. And he said, oh, and it all happened so fast. And he said, the first couple hours, about an hour and a half into it, I told Dr. Ashita, I said, Dr. Ashita, I think I took off more than I can chew, but I'm still chewing. (laughs) So I think there's kind of this idea of, yeah, this is big. And 
it just flows. It just, yeah, in the beginning, it was, it seemed huge. But people showed up. And between Mac and Dr. Oshida and myself and all the other people involved, everybody knows somebody that can do something. So Dr. Oshida working with the county and Mac working with Councilmember Mai Vang's office. And then somebody from that office would say, oh, we're going to call this office. We're going to call somebody from over there. They can bring this and those people can bring that. And we know that they'll show up and they'll be there. And they were. (laughs) So I guess, you know, when I think about this and I think about we all have these thoughts and ideas of, Whatever it is. Um, For me, it was, I was really bothered that uh, communities that were the hardest hit were not getting the vaccine right away. And that really bothered. But it didn't do me any good. It didn't do anybody any good if I just sat on my couch and had that thought. I was willing to verbalize that thought and willing to, and even just by verbalizing it, I then was in the part of the conversation with all of these other people that had the same thoughts and same ideas, everybody bringing their, like I said, own gifts and talents to the table, that it just expands from there. So it seems less daunting when you know that there are people out there that all have a willingness to give, a willingness to volunteer, a willingness to step up and bring their own expertise to the table. Where do you see Equivax going from here? That's a great question. And Mac and I were having this conversation last night that eventually the market will be saturated, if you will. (laughs) And whether that be enough people are vaccinated or those who are not going to be vaccinated aren't coming. So the combination of, of those two means that the market will eventually be saturated. So I don't really know exactly what will happen. We'll be ready. I think if people are going to need a booster, let's say, or if there's a different variant and next year we're looking at a whole different vaccine, then you know we'll be ready to go. Well, and one last point, you have everything up on the internet for anyone, nation, if not worldwide, to view how your program works. If I'm um, a mayor of a town in Ohio, which is the state I live in, I could contact Equivax for information about how to implement your program here, couldn't I? Yes, absolutely. And you would not have to physically come to Ohio to do it. You would be able to explain how your model works and how to get volunteers to staff it, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. We want this to be a model that people can pop up anywhere, wherever they live. So absolutely, people can reach out to us. They have questions. There's a lot of information on our website, but we know that people have more questions than what they see on the website. So absolutely can reach out to us. Well, that's excellent. I cannot thank you enough for spending your time with me today for our listeners to learn about this program. And one of the most exciting things about this is what you've shared with us about the mass volunteer with love contributions that people have done to make this program possible. Absolutely. I'm hearing it at all levels from the beginning that you and your close associates put together to get it going to the cooperation and quick movement of the county infrastructure to cooperate and and adopt this and make it happen. 
Those are things that we're not used to hearing about publicly these days, quite frankly. So it is exciting, uplifting, and refreshing from any way you look at it, Anne. And I really applaud your efforts and admire everything about this program and you for what you've done here. As we bring this to a close, what advice would you give in a nutshell to someone who wants to put an idea into practice? It wouldn't have to be this, a program like this, any any volunteer program for good. What's your, what's your advice? My advice is to be willing to speak up, number one. You don't know where you can go from there. And you definitely don't know what other people are thinking if nobody speaks up. And so I think the very first step is if you see an injustice or if you see, if you have an idea about anything, speak up. And it can take you great places by using your voice. It can take you great places. So I think that's the very first step. And then, then you'll find yourself in the speaking to the right people and doing the best thing to make uh, the world a better place. And also don't discount yourself. I think a lot of times people think, oh, maybe I'm not the right person to do that, or I don't have that type of expertise. I don't know. I don't really know what I'm doing. That's okay. Nobody knows everything. <laughs> Nobody has all the answers or can solve the problem themselves. So yes, recognizing the need, speaking up, and believing that you can make a difference because every single one of us can make a difference. Well, I, I can't think of a better note to end, end us on. I thank you so much for this time. I look forward to talking with you again, hearing how things are progressing. I will. Thank you. I would like to close with a quote from our medical director, Dr. Rusty Yoshida. And he gives a pep talk and a welcome before every single clinic. He addresses all the volunteers and thanks everybody for being there. And so this is a quote from one of his talks. Not only must we focus on safety, we have a focus on love. We are reuniting families and making a positive difference in the hardest hit community. This is a beautiful day for South Sacramento. Thank you, Anne. That is a beautiful quote and a perfect closing for our podcast today. I can't thank you enough for being with us. We have been speaking today with Dr. Anne Hardy. Anne has shared with us information about Equivax, a volunteer program and ideal model for delivering the COVID-19 vaccine to underserved communities in the Sacramento County area in California. Thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.